You're listening to the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb. Today on the show, Goose Gazzo stops by. He's the manager of Gastonia's Honey Hunters baseball team. It's season three for the Honey Hunters, and he's telling us a little bit about the mix of talent that he's got on the field and what you might expect when you're going out to Caramont Health Park. Let's take a break to hear a word from our sponsors. Oh wait, just kidding. We don't have sponsors. These are just some cool things happening in and around Gaston County. May is National Foster Care Awareness Month. Gaston County has more than 500 children right now in foster care and a desperate need for more foster parents. If you think fostering could be for you, check out our foster care homepage at fostergaston.com. When you foster a child, you can change the future. We're here on another edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb. I've got Elizabeth McGee here with me today, and we've got a special guest in studio. We've got the manager of the Gastonia Honey Hunters, Goose Gazzo. Goose, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we're recording this right before the season starts, um, uh, and one of the things that we wanted to ask you about is this is now season three of the Honey Hunters. Um, how do you feel like in the short time that you guys have been here that you've been able to kind of ingratiate yourself to the community and really become part of the community? Because I feel like I see players, I see you, I see BAM, just kind of all over the place at different events. Yeah, I think we're right on track. I, I, I think uh, anytime you start a brand new organization, there's going to be a few growing pains and stuff. But I, th- I believe that uh, in just a short period of time, uh, we've become uh, a championship quality ball club. Um, and obviously, you know, with our community engagement and all that stuff, hopefully we can keep growing this thing to uh, becoming a really big thing in, in the town of Gastonia. Absolutely. Um, you guys actually, I mean, what, first half of the season last year, you guys were top place in, in the division, right? Yeah, we won both halves. We were 88 and 44 last year. Very pleased with how the year went. Um, we won the first half by uh, by six or seven games, and then we basically repeated the second half. Uh, and that's really unheard of, especially with all the movement that you typically have in the league with players getting moved and uh, bought and and some retired, uh, obviously releases and all the things that go with uh, with with the team. We've had 57 players uh, come through our team last year. We wow. used 57 different players. And for for folks that aren't big baseball folks, it's usually what 25 for a roster. It's a 26 man roster this year. Last okay. year it was 27. Okay. Uh, this year we're going down to 26. So you talk about the roster size. Talk a little bit. I mean, there's a couple different things that are that are new this year in the league, and and what Major League Baseball has done is kind of used you guys as a little bit of a testing ground, right, in the Atlantic League. Correct. We're we're a, we're a partner. We're a partner with MLB. We're a partner league. Um, it's called an MLB Partner League, uh, the Atlantic League. Um, so they do some trials with uh, some different rules, and obviously some of them, them some of them are already in the major leagues, uh, three man minimum. Um, is in the major leagues now where a pitcher comes in, he has to face three guys at a minimum or complete an inning before he could be removed. Right. Um, that one's there. Uh, the big bases got there this year. Yeah. Uh, we've been doing that in the Atlantic League for at least three years. Um, I mean, we've tested out the uh, um, robotic umpire um, or the actually the uh, ball and strike uh, communicated through TrackMan, uh, okay. the umpire's ear. Uh, we've tested that out. We're d- currently doing some tests on uh, double hook rule, which is if the starting pitcher doesn't go five innings, that uh, the the DH comes out of the game as well. 
So there's some strategy with that. Uh, I believe what they're trying to do with that rule is to try to get pitchers to go five innings. Right. Um, obviously, when a manager comes out there and takes a pitcher out, you're talking it's wasting a lot of time and stuff like that. So, sure. Um, then there's some other rules. Um, there's a new rule this year that's going to be interesting on how we use it. Uh, it's going to be the designated pinch runner rule. Okay. Where we're able to take one of our guys that's on the bench that's not in the starting lineup, and we can insert him as a pinch runner at any point with any batter one time. Uh, but the good thing about it is, yeah, you're going to gain speed and mm-hmm. possibly score that run. However, you don't lose that batter that got on base. He's able to stay in the game. And then the pitch runner is able to go back into the game as a pinch runner again, but he has to stay permanent. Or he can go back in the game as a defensive replacement. He can go back in the game as a pinch hitter. So it, it gives you the option of, you know, if you've got like a Frank Thomas sort of guy in your lineup that's a, you know, a big power hitter, but you get him on base and boy, he's going to have a hard time stretching anything into a double or a triple. You, you get that runner on base that maybe now is is going to have a better chance of scoring. Sure. I, I think we have to kind of be smart. Um, we don't know exactly how we're going to use it yet. Um, I think it's going to be kind of a trial and error thing initially. But if I was to kind of break down a game in my mind, I would think that it would be later, the latter part of the game rather than the beginning part of the game. For sure. When you're developing or testing these rules, what kind of um, conversations are you having with MLB? Like, are you guys telling them, oh, this is working really well, or, oh, there's these problems that we didn't know that we were going to have? Like, what is that conversation like? Well, they tell us. Okay. (laughs) They tell us. We don't tell them. However, uh, we'll have uh, meetings in the offseason, like we did have a manager's meeting with the MLB people that are, are, are creating these rules. Um, so we'll have we'll have meetings about it, and we'll give them what we think is good and bad about it. Um, and sometimes they'll change the rule around, or sometimes they say, "No, we got to go with it." I mean, just a couple years ago, um, a couple three years ago, we actually made the mound further, uh, and that was a that was a big deal. That wow. was, you know, when you're talking about a kid from when he first starts playing ball to to you know, his professional career or major league career. I mean, it's always been 60 feet, six inches once you get to the 13-year-old threshold. Um, it, it's been 60 feet, six inches. Uh, three years ago, we threw at 61 feet, six inches. Uh, so that was a big thing. That was, that was huge. I mean, trying to get a pitcher to come play for you mm-hmm. was yeah. very hard because it's more strenuous on your arm. There's a lot of different training methods, uh, different things that, can occur with with moving back the mound and the whole thing about it was they're trying to get more offense in the game hmm. so there's some rules that just don't make it and there's some rules that uh, obviously stick and what's the impetus for uh, most of the rules or i don't know if you can generalize like that but is it like safety driven or 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 we're we talking about just you know you experience of the audience no great question i i, I think it's I think there's there's several several things. I think uh, safety comes into play with the bigger bases being around second base, turning a double play. It's giving more room for that second the guy that's sliding into second base to use the bag. Um, I th- so from that standpoint, I think it's a safety issue. Um, all the other ones, all the other rules are basically speed up rules because your average game in the major leagues is, was really really long. Sure, uh, I don't know the exact uh, the exact time, but um, that and then fan engagement, you know, mm. uh, having fans see action is better than, you know, sitting and waiting for a home run or, you know, 
uh, sitting and, and, and waiting in between innings an extra amount of time. Uh, batters getting in and out of the box at their own leisure. Um, so it's kind of to speed up the game a little bit and have more action for the fans. That's really interesting. And actually, I wanted to talk about fan engagement and what kind of things do y'all do or are you planning to do with this next season um, with regards to fan engagement? Well, I, I think I think that's more of a question for, uh, you know, for our marketing staff and, okay. and our people that um, uh, uh, take care of in between innings and stuff like that. I mean, uh from my standpoint, my job is to get get my team, um, you know, prepared to play that that game. Um, you know, there's there's other leagues, I guess, or other other teams in the nation that use it as an entertainment type of thing. I mean, we are a form of entertainment. There's no doubt. But at the end of the day, I mean, we want to try to win games and stuff like that. So we don't have a lot of on field stuff. Yeah. I mean, the quality of our play is what we want to draw the fans with. And then our, obviously our marketing group and our, our people that take care of uh, what's going on in between innings and, and you know, uh, the different uh, giveaways and stuff that we have. I think that's that's more of the marketing side. I know we had Veronica in, the, the chief operating officer last year, and she talked about some of the things that you guys are doing in terms of, you know, adding the, the big children's area. I mean, there's um, Madison who does a lot of the stuff kind of uh, on field as the MC, kind of in between innings, kind of making sure that the, the crowd's really engaged. Um, but, but going back to what you were talking about, kind of the, the on the field talent, noticing that you guys have a couple ex-MLBers on, on the, the roster this year, Zach Godley, Jack Reinheimer. Um, how do you go about mixing those guys that have that taste of the big leagues with some of the other guys that are in, you know, maybe just coming up, scratching, fighting for a position or guys that have maybe bounced around a little bit. Sure. So, so we have eight, we have eight players that have played formerly in the MLB that came to our camp this year anyways. Um, and it looks like they'll probably all make the club. Um, so, um, Getting them comfortable is my biggest priority. Getting them to, you know, understand that hey, your opportunities here in front of you. It's not something that you've done already or whatever. So getting them comfortable to be able to play at their best uh, is is my job. is is the job of the coaching staff to uh, get them to play at their best. So obviously, it's it's the you know best for our team. But we have a lot of we have players from different. Um, uh, from the different spectrum of of minor league baseball, so anything from from major leagues to have never played an affiliated ball before, so to kind of get the guys to get good camaraderie and all that stuff really is the leadership of of us, our coaching staff as well as the leaders that you you get to come to play for you. Um, a lot of those guys that you just mentioned, they're natural born leaders. It's one of the reasons why they're they're very good at what they do. Um, you know, they can let the bad day go away. They can come back the next day. They, they handle those situations really well. And what we do is we try to get those experienced players and those MLB players to help our younger players develop because those players haven't been where they were. And so it's, it's very easy for them to explain to them, hey, this is what it takes. This is what you got to do. This is how you act. This is, this is how you go about your business. This is how you prepare yourself for you know, bigger and better things down the road. Well, it's, it's kind of a weird environment in the sense that, like, if you're being really successful as a manager, you're going to lose your guys. Like, it, you know, if, if you're preparing them, if you're mentally preparing them, if they're, if they're kind of rounding into form, like, they're going to get – their contracts are going to get bought by, some, you know – 
then they're, they're going to move up. And so that's a challenge, right? At the end of the day, you know, when I brush my teeth at night before I go to bed, my job is to try to give these guys an opportunity to get back to what they want to get back to. I right. mean, um, so uh, we've been fortunate in just the two years of our existence. We've led the league in those two years of the most players purchased. Wow. Wow. Uh, so we've had 30 players that have gone on to – going on to bigger and better things. And I'm talking about going to play in Asia, going to play in Mexico, going to back to affiliated ball. Uh, we haven't quite had the player that got back to the major leagues yet, but we've had several players that have made it back to AAA. Um, That's a big deal. It, it is. And we still have, we still have players out there that we track and, and, and obviously care for deeply and, you know, wish them the best, but if they ever get released or anything, we want to jump right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're dropping that note. Like, Hey, I saw where you might be looking for something. It happens. Our opening day starter, uh, our opening day starter is, is Marcus Walden. Uh, Marcus Walden is a several year big leaguer, a former major leaguer with several teams. Um, he, He's a player that got picked up last year by the Milwaukee Brewers. He finished out the year with them in AAA. Um, they let him become a free agent, and he wanted to come back to us. Wow. And so he'll be our tomorrow night opening starter. Well, that says something about the culture that you guys are building, that like that is something where, hey, I feel like I've got something really good there, and that's a good place for me to develop and to really um, hone my skills. Yeah, so uh, again, it goes back to that comfortability that we talked about earlier, um, you know, making these guys comfortable and and stuff like that. I mean, um, the relationships that we develop with these guys is 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 solid. Um, you know, we want them to, like I said, feel comfortable. And that's one of the main things that um, I, I think we do a very good job at is, is developing a trust because uh, now they're not where they want to be. You know, I, I, I kind of always explain it to my friends back home and stuff. I always explain it. I said, we got the guy that's still so full of testosterone ego. I mean, made it to the major leagues. We got that guy that's like, you know, and then all of a sudden now he's down he's not even in the minor leagues he's yeah. he's an independent ball yeah so there's got to be a trust that you know trust me how i'm guiding you through this season and trust us as an organization that we're going to do the right thing by you mm -hmm. what are some examples of those things you do to build trust with your players uh, a, a lot of times these players when they go to organizations or they've been with a couple different organizations it's kind of one of these things like oh do it this way or you have to do it this way or this is our way of doing things what I like to do with the players is, you know, talk to them a little bit about what made you at your best. Mm -hmm. What is it that you like to do? Like a lot of times with all these analytics now with the spin rate of a ball and all that stuff, they'll take a certain side of a plate away from a pitcher sometimes Wow! because that's a red hot zone, meaning they're getting hit in that zone. So they don't want them to throw to that zone. So they're, they're marking every pitch, every location, um, where what I do and our pitching coach and our coach uh, coaching staff, what we do, whether it's a hitting thing or a pitching thing, what we do is we let them play what got them to the level that they got to. So, it's, I mean, obviously you saw some of that in the majors with kind of money ball and everything with, with Billy Bean and the Oakland A's. Does that trickle down to, to your level or is it, is it more at this point just kind of 
developing confidence and not worrying so much about the, hey, this guy, you know, likes to really go here, you know, 18% of the time sort of deal? Well, I, we do have TrackMan. So TrackMan, we'll have those statistics that come in that we'll use for like a scouting report or whatever. But we um, will break that down for the players and the players kind of know how to read that stuff anyways. I mean, they're really, really good at it. Um uh, it's all over baseball now, so it's not just it's not just something that one organization has and the other one doesn't. You know, so it it is a it it is something that they we value. Uh, we look at. Um, it's still good information. It's very good information uh, of how to get a batter out or what your best pitch is. W- what I like about it is you know how you're breaking ball spinning. I mean, not every day as a pitcher, as a foreign pitcher, I could tell you not every day you feel the same. We're not machines. So, you know, one day my muscles might be a little bit more sore than the other. One day my I have fatigue. Uh, the next day, you know, I've got a lot of things on my mind. So um, we still need to know in that zone if I'm able to execute that pitch, when I'm able to execute that pitch. And then in the heat of the moment, I got to be able to know where I can go with what pitch to, to get the guy out. So uh, we utilize all that stuff. You know, one of the things that we talked with Veronica about last year is is kind of the sense of, yes, you're a new team in the league, but you've got this benefit of having a, a, another Atlantic League team just right up the road in High Point. Um, is that something where you guys are really trying to develop that as kind of a, not necessarily like a hated rivalry, but definitely that, that friend, friendly rivalry, if I can say the word, rivalry? <laughs> it's definitely a rivalry, and I think the, the, the more that um, – we play each other. I think it's becoming a, a serious rivalry because obviously we want to be, you know, the winner of our division. They want to be the winner of their division. We're both somewhat uh, new to the league. They got a year more experience than us. We came into the league the year after. However, we had COVID, so really two years after, but only two seasons played mm. um, to where, you know, we're, we're just basically a season apart as far as uh, – uh, the years of existence. They're going on their fourth year. We're going on our third year. However, that's over a five-year period because of COVID. Um, but yes, it's certainly a rivalry. Um, you know, uh, the teams like coming down south because of the weather, especially early in the oh, year. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I've talked to some of my manager friends in the in the league up in New York, Wally Backman and and uh, the guys at Staten Island and stuff. And obviously, they're having cold weather during spring training. They they got weather like this a lot of times, so they're not able to go out there and get their practices in. But uh, very competitive league. Um, very competitive league and having, you know, having high point next door and us being, us being one and two in the league last year, um, I, I could, I could see that happening again. Well, and it's a league that's growing too. I mean, they're continuing to, to add teams over the last couple of years, right? Yeah. So Frederick, uh, Frederick is new this year. That's who's coming in tonight or they'll be in here for tomorrow's night's game, uh, opener. Frederick, um, uh, basically is a new team. Uh, I believe Hakerstown is going to be a team next year. And I think there's another surprise team that's coming in next year. So I believe it could be up to 12 teams, uh, 12 teams by next year. Uh, when I first started in the league, it was six teams. Yeah. So it says something for the success. I mean, there's obviously there's been a lot of talk about, you know, how does baseball continue to evolve and, and, and continue to, to kind of grow a younger fan base. But, I mean, it, that's a good sign that the Atlantic League is doing well. Right. Well, with the contraction a couple of years ago with the minor leagues, and then now they're making these rules that you can only have like 150 players in camp and, 
you know, you take like the Yankees and the Phillies who were, you know, no, they're very um, reputably known for bringing like 175 people into camp and then ended up having to release 25 or whatever. But with the contraction, a lot of these cities that had stadiums already mm-hmm. were available. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, whether like Frederick was a team that once was in affiliated ball, they were a minor league club. Um, now that stadium sat there and, and now the league comes in and it's like, okay, you know, do you want to be members of the Atlantic league? And, um, the Atlantic league has a lot of talent. There's, there's a lot of talent. You can go to any game and, and see former major leaguers on either team. Um, you could see, you could see the talent pool is, is pretty good. And I think as long as they keep the minor leagues to the four or five teams that they want to keep, I think there's going to be independent leagues, whether it's in this Atlantic League or, you know, they join up with one of the other independent leagues, I think it's going to be a big deal in baseball for years to come. What would you say, based on what you know right now, the strength of your team is going to be this year? Uh, Strength is going to be power and pitching. Okay. Uh, Very different than last year. Last year we had 305 stolen bases. We were... Setting records, right? Oh, setting records. Uh, We were, you know, one through nine could steal a base at any time. You're down by a run, we can, you know... We can get that man to third pretty quick. I mean, we had top end speed from, like I said, one through nine. Um, I think we're, we're we're definitely constructed a little bit different this year. We have a little bit more power. Uh, we have to be a little bit more patient, but we can have a big inning at any time. We can we can accidentally hit balls out. We've got some we've got some big power hitters, um, but good hitters that also have good on base percentage too. They're not just power hitters where it's an all or nothing type of thing, where you're striking out three times and you put a ball in play once. I mean that's um, you know, that's it could be powerful for guys that are, um, you know, for guys that have hit a lot of home runs or all that. But um, I don't like strikeouts and I don't like walks. Mm. Um, I like strikeouts when our pitchers are pitching, oh, but I yeah, don't like yeah. I don't like strikeouts when our hitters are hitting. Right. Uh, you know, so um, uh, we we did a very I think a very cautious job of selecting the guys that we selected. Uh, based on they still have good on-base percentages, they still have a decent enough batting average. Uh, again, here comes those analytics again, right? You know, it's like you got to kind of look at all this stuff to kind of make a lineup out and give your best chance to win the game. It's an art and a science, I assume. <laughs> it's becoming that way. Yeah. It's becoming more and more that way. You mm-hmm. know, before it used to be the eye test. You know, now you can look at a whole bunch of numbers and it tells you a whole bunch before you even meet the guy. Like, I know so much about these guys without even knowing what they look like, wow. you know, just by reading the numbers and going over their numbers with, with our assistant general manager, Brady Salisbury. Um, we, we kind of know, we kind of know these players, you know, their ceilings, their floors, what they're best at, how they fit, where in the lineup are they? Are they a three, four, five hitter? Are they a seven, eight, nine hitter? Um, so we know a lot of, we know a lot of about them before even getting to see them. I'd like to talk a little bit about how you came up through the sport and you guys give us a little overview of how you got started in it and how you got to where you are now. You said you were a pitcher? Sure. So uh, <laughs> baseball was my least favorite sport of the three sports that I played. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, There's no irony there whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was, a, I was a big football, basketball, and baseball player in, in my town in Berlin, Connecticut. 
Um, you know, I wanted to be the next quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. I wanted to go to Penn State. I wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to play in the NFL. I was one of those kids that slept with a football, you know, woke my dad up every day if, whenever I could, and I wanted to throw the football and, and all that. And I developed a pretty strong arm, and I, I was a pretty good athlete and um, played basketball too. But baseball was my least favorite. It was too slow. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't fun. Uh, but I was excelling at it. And my sophomore year, I started throwing the ball like 85, 87 miles an hour. Wow. Um, so my junior year comes around. There's scouts starting to come around. Um, and they started watching me play. And, and uh, by my senior year, I ended up getting drafted by the Mets in 1984. Um, so from my, from high school, I went right to, right to the minor leagues. Um, I played 12 minor league seasons, parts of six in the major leagues. Um, I played with the Mets, Indians, twins, and blue Jays in the major leagues. And I got some minor league time with the Cubs and the Royals. Um, after I was done playing ball, um, retired like at 30 years old, um, after I was done, I got I was stayed in baseball. I was an instructor. I developed. I, I uh, owned my own uh, facility uh, called Goose's Major League Instruction, and I started instructing kids. And I started getting kids that made it to the major leagues. Oh, wow. uh, Stuart Pomerantz, uh, yeah. Drew Pomerantz, oh, Matt wow. Kane. These are guys that I trained since they were like eight, nine years old. And wow. I always had a passion for teaching it and pass it on. Yeah. And um, I have two boys of my own that were very good baseball players. One still is playing professional ball. He was in the Phillies organization for the past four years. This year he's going to be playing independent ball himself. Um, but I had two kids, uh, trained them uh, in my facility, obviously, had my own organization. So I was always in baseball. So when they got to the point where they went off to college and all, I wanted to get back into the pro game. Yeah. Okay. And so I was fortunate enough to uh, get a job doing it right in my hometown or close to my hometown in New Britain, Connecticut, mm -hmm. in this league, the oh, New wow. Britain Bees. Wow. So um, – uh, that team ended up folding, and I applied for the Gastonia job, and here I am. What would you say your strength is as a coach? Probably communication. Uh, probably communication, I would say. Um, I would say uh, I'm big on communication. I want to know how these guys are feeling daily. Um, not to the point where I'm bothersome, but to the point of letting them know I care. Yeah, I it mean, gets back to the trust building aspect exactly. of what you're doing. Exactly. You know, and, and I'm not I'm – not, you know, I'm not going to knock on their door. I'm not going to sit there and do bed check at 1130 <laughs> or 45 minutes after a game or anything like that. Um, again, um, if they got to the level that they played at, obviously they've done some things right and they understand right from wrong and how to go about their business. Now, if I have to step in, I will step in. But for the most part, these guys are professionals. They know what they're supposed to be doing. They know when they're supposed to be showing up. And my job is just to kind of be there as the supporting factor for that. One thing that obviously has is, is become a much bigger thing in, the, in baseball over the last maybe 20, 30 years, you've got a lot of guys now that are you know, playing and they're from Korea, they're from Japan, they're from Dominican Republic, and maybe speak very little if no English. So have you experienced that with any of your guys? And oh, absolutely. How do, you, how do you continue to work with them when you can't sit down and have a conversation with them short of having a translator? Well, they know what a ball is. They well, know what yeah. a strike is. They know where first, second, third base are. They know where home plate are. They know where the bats are. Um, they go and play. Um, their job is to play. They want to 
they want to play and obviously make money, support their family, get to the big leagues and all that stuff. Very, very talented people all over the world. I could remember when I was going through the minor leagues, um, there was this thing called Instructional League where they would send the younger players back to the training facility in spring training, whether it was Arizona or Florida. And they would take like, you know, 30 of the younger players, first couple year guys or whatever. And teams from Japan would come down and share clubhouses with us. Mm. Uh, they would, and, and, and do that with roughly about the same age group kind of guys and stuff. And then all of a sudden Australia, you got players from Australia, you got players from Germany, you got players from all, a, a lot of different countries, not, not just the Latin countries, right. but a lot of different countries, Korea, Taiwan, Japan. Uh, the Japan league is one of the best leagues in the, in the, in the, in the world. Oh, absolutely. Um, and they have a minor league system. So some of those players that are not making it at their, you know, major league level or whatever, you know, will find themselves in this league. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a few, there's a, there's a few uh, Japanese players that are going to be in this league this year, um, you know, and, and, and pursued, pursued our teams in the league. So it's not like we've even pursued them. They're, they're pursuing us. So um, yes, there's, there's translators uh, in the game now, um, you know, Otani, everybody oh, yeah. knows. Uh, you go out to visit him on the mound, he's coming. There's a pitching coach coming or a manager coming with the interpreter as well. Um, so there's, there's, there's ways of getting the communication across to these players. And in, in a pinch, you're just pulling up Google Translate on your phone, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, usually there's always a bilingual guy around. Um, there's a bilingual guy around. I, you know, I, I speak Italian a little bit, so so I'm able to understand the, the Spanish, and I can get by what I need to tell some of the uh, some of the Latin players. Um, you lost me when it comes to speaking Japanese. Oh goodness, or yeah. you, you lost me there. I have no clue there. Um, that's where I would need a translator yep. or the Google yep. Translate there. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you kind of coming in, giving us a chance to to learn a little bit more about you, and um, excited to see kind of what you guys have for for season three. It sounds like you're going to have another great roster out there, and um, it's just for anybody that hasn't been, um, Gaston County did a uh, employee night last uh, last August, I think, and we had a ton of our staff out there. I mean, it's just it's a great time at the ballpark. You guys have. You know, you put on a great show, and and more than that, I mean, it's it's quality baseball, you know. So yeah, no, thank you for having me. I I, I just want to just say a few things about the quality of the baseball. I I think there's a lot of people that don't realize the quality uh, and the skill set of these players. I mean, um, this is the highest ranked um, independent league in the country. There's four different. Uh, other than us, there's four different leagues in this country. We're able to have the most veterans, veterans being players that have played four years or more in professional baseball, where some of these other leagues might have some veterans, but they also have to carry like 10 rookies, guys that have never played. So we are the highest rated um, you know, independent league, so you're going to see the most experienced players independent ball in independent ball in this league compared to the other leagues. Definitely. Well, Goose, thank you so much for, for coming in, for, for joining us on the podcast, and we wish you the best of success in the season to come. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey, citizens. Are you feeling savvy yet? If not, let's take a break and hear about some cool things happening in and around Gaston County. Did you know Savvy Citizen now has a live music series? Check out the monthly episodes of Savvy Sounds. 
where we bring you original music and interviews with musicians from in and around Gaston County. View it on demand on the Gaston County Government YouTube page. Just search for the Savvy Sounds playlist. The Savvy Citizen Podcast is a production of the Gaston County Communications Office. It is hosted by Janet Schaefer and Adam Gobb, and its senior field correspondent is Elizabeth McGee. Editor and producer is Joshua Braswell. Coming up on next week's show, we'll be joined by some folks from Habitat for Humanity, who will talk to us about the work that the group does for the community and how you can get involved.